0: Turn to Acts 27 if you haven't already turned there. This should be familiar ground for us. Because this is a story in Acts chapter 27 of Paul in a shipwreck in the midst of a storm, as you recall. And I want us to pick up at verse 39 and read through the end of the chapter. Verse 39 begins, When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach under which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosening the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the main sail to the wind and made for shore. Striking a place where two seas meet, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that they, those who could swim, should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, so that it was that all escaped safely to the land. You're familiar with the story of the the, uh, storm at sea at which Paul found himself. And prior to this reading, an angel had appeared to Paul in the midst of when everybody had thought all hope of life was gone, an angel said, no one's going to die, but all must remain aboard ship. Paul had urged them to do that, and they did. But in the story that we just read here, the ship ran aground beginning at verse 39. They made for shore, and they they let the anchors down and hoisted the sail, and they made for shore. And they hit then in a place where two seas met. And the front part of the ship stuck fast into the ground, and the back part began to be beaten by the waves from the two seas, pointing in two different directions and blowing in two different directions. The wind as it was gusting from either direction ship was broken apart. When that happened, and they realized that, the soldiers made a plan. They were going to kill the prisoners. They are in charge of the prisoners. They're to guard the prisoners. And they made their plan according to verse 42. If you have your Bible open there to Acts chapter 27. They made their plans. They're going to kill the soldiers. But verse 43 says the centurion, whose name is identified earlier as Julius, wanting to spare the life of Paul, kept them from their purpose. Look at verse 43 with me, if you will. Notice this phrase. This is the key for our study in our, our lesson this morning. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. That's interesting phrasing. His goal was to save Paul and their purpose. They're going to kill the soldiers. The text says the centurion, Julius, kept them from their purpose. Let's look at that phrase in this context. What was the soldier's purpose? Let's go back to verse 42 of our text. And so if you've already left that, go back to Acts chapter 27, if you will. And let's look at Acts chapter 27 and notice at verse 42, the purpose of the soldiers was to keep the prisoners from getting away and from escaping So verse 42 said, lest they should swim away and, and escape, their plan was to kill the soldiers. And so quickly as the storm has broken the ship apart, they must be verbalizing their plan, grab a sword, grab a sword, grab a sword, we've got to kill all these soldiers. That was their plan, that was their purpose. But verse 43 says, Julius kept them from their purpose. My question is, how did he do that? How did he prevent them from fulfilling their purpose, the text says? There's two things I want to suggest to you. Number one is in verse 43, he exercised his authority. He exercised authority over them. He's a centurion after all. He's a a soldier himself, but he is a superior soldier. He's a centurion. He has authority over other soldiers and even the prisoners. So he executed his authority and exercised his authority by giving the command their lives are to be spared. That kept them from their purpose. Secondly, I want you to notice at verse 43, he offered an alternative plan. Instead of killing the soldiers, notice at verse 43, he commanded that those who could swim jump overboard first and get to land and others hang on to pieces of the, the wood and broken pieces of the ship and they make for land and they did. So there was two things that he did. He exercised his authority over those that were under him and gave them a command and when they would abide by it, they were kept from their purpose. And he offered an alternative plan. This is something else you can do instead of doing what you were planning. And that kept them from their purpose. Look at verse 44. Verse 44 says they were kept from their purpose and no indication they ever came back to their purpose because verse 44 said and the rest, some on board and some on broken to pieces so that all escaped safely to the land. Not one of them was killed. Not a prisoner was slain. They were kept from their purpose. Now this is talking about a physical thing and a physical circumstance that we're not in. But it could be that we are often kept from our purpose. So let's talk this morning, taking this as our beginning and launching port from Acts 27 and verse 43. Let's talk about being kept from our purpose. He kept them from Their purpose. Could it be that someone or something or some circumstance is keeping you from your purpose? Go back and look at your text again. In our recent studies through the book of Acts as we were coming through that, that caught my eye like it never did before. That here the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. And I began to wonder, what could be keeping me from my purpose? What could be keeping you from your purpose? Could somebody be giving some kind of direction? Could somebody be giving advice? Could somebody be doing something, offering an alternative plan that keeps you from your purpose? So let's start with this. Let's start with raising the question, just what is your purpose? Just what is your purpose? If I don't know my purpose, then I might not know that I'm being kept from my purpose. So let's talk about two things with reference to what our purpose may be. Let's understand that purpose requires a goal. If you don't have a goal, you don't have a purpose. So I need to understand that if I have a purpose, that requires a goal. So let's go this time to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament now. We're all familiar with this book that was written, I think, by Solomon. Solomon being the author, we'll just take that for our discussion. But he's called the preacher in this context, and the preacher, as he pursues a question in the the book of Ecclesiastes, he pursues the question of the purpose of life. He raises the question about purpose, about goal. So let's start in chapter 1, if you will, and notice in chapter 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and notice at verse 3 he raises that question. What profit has man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What's man supposed to be doing while he lives on earth? What's man's purpose in life? What's his goal in life? What's he supposed to be doing in life? That's his question. So while you're open to chapter one, let's notice things he considered. In chapter one and in verse 13, he said, he considered wisdom. He said, I set my heart to seek and search out wisdom, turning all things that are done under the sun. He looked after wisdom. Look at chapter two and in verse 12, that I turned myself to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. And so he looked for wisdom and he gained wisdom. So that he became the wisest man around so now he has a mind full of wisdom as evidence in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, as writing the book of Proverbs, telling all the wisdom and settling all the riddles and problems of the day. He was a man who had wisdom, but he came to the conclusion, wisdom within itself is not man's purpose in life, because he said that's vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he said. Chapter 2, verse 1, he considered something else, he considered pleasure. He said, therefore, enjoy pleasure, he said to himself. So I sought after pleasure and I thought maybe let's pursue the question of pleasure. Maybe that's what life is about living life with all the gusto. Let's live it up to the fullest and let's enjoy life. And he said, I too recognized, though I enjoyed life Have all the pleasure that I could enjoy. He said, I realized that's vanity of vanities. All is vanities. Chapter two, verse seven. He said, I considered possessions. I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. He became one of the richest men around he said, I gained all kinds of possessions, all kinds of gold and silver and flocks, And I had everything that I wanted. I couldn't really ask for any more. And I found out that too was vanity. So accumulating wealth and possessions was not man's purpose in life. So now we come to the end of the book. Now this is a quick summary of the book I recognize. But let's go to chapter 12 because you are familiar with verse 13. But I want to notice some things in the context before he gets to verse 13. Notice he says at verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. The one shepherd, I think, refers to Jehovah. In other words, the wisdom, uh, of the words of wisdom that are inspired, the ones that come from God, from the one shepherd, are the ones that are of value. Now, let's contrast that with verse 12. He said, of the making of books, there is no end. What's his point? I think his point is this, that real wisdom and real understanding comes not from considering the words and wisdom of men, verse 12, but giving our minds attuned to the revelation of God. If you want to know what your purpose in life is, don't look around at the wisdom of men. Don't buy books, self-help books from the wisdom of men to learn the purpose of life. Spend your time in the inspired will of God. What will you find? Look at verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. God placed me on earth. God created man that I might fear him and serve him. That's my purpose in life. Let's go back to our text in Acts 27. Julius kept them from their purpose. Is there anything keeping you from that purpose of fearing God and keeping His commands? Let's go to the New Testament this time. And let's look at the Apostle Paul, starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 9. Paul said it was his aim, it was his goal, that whether present or absent, to be accepted of him. What are you saying, Paul? I'm saying this is what gives me my drive. This is what makes me do what I do. This is what makes me tick. My goal, my aim, my purpose. What is it, Paul. To be accepted and pleasing to God. Doesn't matter about anything else. I just want to be acceptable and pleasing unto God. I want to serve God. That harmonizes with what Solomon said. Well, let's go to 2 Timothy this time. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verses 6 and 7. He doesn't use the word purpose. He doesn't use the word goal. But notice what he does say. For I'm ready... I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. In other words, I think my life's about gone. I think I'm soon going to die. And quite often when we get to that point in our life, we begin to reflect back over the past of our life and wonder, have I spent my life like I should? What have I done with my life? Have I fulfilled my purpose? Have I wasted my life? Notice what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What's your purpose, Paul? My purpose was to finish this race, the Christian race, to keep the faith. In other words, to serve God like I had said in 2 Corinthians 5. That was his purpose in life. Now, purpose requires a goal. Secondly, Purpose requires single-minded devotion. Let that sink in for a moment. Purpose requires single-minded devotion. If not, if not, you would be hard-pressed to say you have a purpose. Purpose requires, may I say again, single minded devotion. If not, it would be hard pressed to say you have purpose. Let me illustrate that. Suppose we hire a guard to guard a gate and say, You need to guard this gate. That's your job. We're paying you to be a guard. You're armed. We'll supply you with all that you need, the uniform and the, the, the arms and, and all that you need. And your job, your purpose is to guard the gate. But let's suppose now that he doesn't have single-minded devotion to guarding the gate. He gets distracted. Someone comes along and he begins a conversation over here. And the gate's not being guarded or watched. He gets interested with things on his phone and he begins to pay attention to what's going on in the internet and he's not watching the gate. He doesn't have single-minded devotion. Someone sneaks in through the gate because he's not watching carefully. You ask him, what's your job? Well, I'm supposed to be a guard. But since he doesn't have single-minded devotion, he hardly has purpose. Well, let's give another illustration. Let's suppose a picture on a ball team. His purpose is to pitch the ball. But suppose when it comes time for the team to go out onto the field, they look around and ask, where is the pitcher? Well, he's off over at the concession stand trying to get food for his children. Well, that needs to be done. That's important, isn't it? But you could hardly say he has single-minded devotion to his purpose while the game's going on because he's not out there to pitch the ball. You ask him, what's your job? He'd say, my job's to pitch. Well, we need a pitcher and you're not out there now. Or suppose when we get ready for him to pitch, he's off having a conversation with some family members over here in the stand. What's your job? Well, I'm supposed to be the pitcher, but he's not out there when it comes time to pitch. He doesn't have single-minded devotion. If we don't have single-minded devotion, we could easily become distracted and still think that I'm on track. The guard thinks he's guarding the, the gate. What are you doing out here? I'm guarding the gate. Well, did you notice somebody just slipped through? No, I didn't see that. I was was, was busy looking at something. over. I didn't see that. He hardly has single-minded devotion. Now, let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. What Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, his point is this is the way it's going to be in my kingdom. This is a sermon about the kingdom. In the context, he's dealing with material things. Over interest in material things, maybe it's the accumulation of wealth, maybe it's worrying about food, clothing, and shelter, both of those are in the context, both are a form of materialism. In that context, in that context, beginning at verse 22, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore the eye is good, the whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? What on earth is he saying? What he's saying is the eye, the mind, is not to be clouded, nor is it to be distracted or blurred with concern about material things. It's in the context of, of focusing. Let's go back a little bit earlier. Do you remember where he said in verse 21, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's in that context. Too much focus on the material things and not enough on spiritual. Then later he talks about worrying, and that's focusing too much on the here and the now and the physical and not focusing on your faith and trust in God. God. So in that context, he says at verse 22, the lap of the body is the eye. Don't let your eye, your mind, be blurred, the eye of your mind. Don't let the eye of your soul be blurred or distracted by material things." Nothing wrong with the material. But when he becomes distracted with that, that's not single-minded devotion. What's the point of verses 22 to 24? Single-minded devotion. Look at verse 24 now. Verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. In other words, you can't be like this guard. He says, I'm guarding, but I I, want to engage in this conversation. I'm guarding, but I'm... No, you can't do both. Like the pitcher, well, I'm, I'm the ball pitcher, but but I've got to go secure some food for my children over here. Well, well I know I need to pitch, but I'm trying, no, you can't do both. And the person who says, I want to, I've, I've really concerned and focused on the material. But I'm still a servant of God. You can't do both. Your single-minded devotion. Now let's move to the second point. Let's talk about some historical efforts to keep Israel from their purpose. Now, ultimately, we're going to notice different people. That would be maybe someone among Israel. Maybe it's someone among some of the enemy nations. But back of all of that, let's get the bigger picture. Back of all of that is ultimately Satan is always trying to keep Israel from their purpose. Let's go to the Old Testament first and trace through several of these. So get your Bible if you don't already have one. We're just going to quickly hit some examples. Let's start in Numbers chapter 13 and we're going to list a number of ways in which one might be hindered from their purpose. One is through pessimism. <clears throat> Numbers 13. Do you remember when they were at Kadesh Barnea? <clears throat> as they were sending spies out to spy out the land before they conquer the land, before they ever attempt to conquer the land. Is they're spying out the land. Here comes a report back beginning at verse 30. Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said, Let us uh, and said, Let us go up at once, for we're well able to overcome. We can do it. Positive spirit. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel bad report. And notice they said at verse 32, the land which we have gone through. Um, That the people we saw there of great stature, verse 33, and we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, that came from giants, that we are like grasshoppers in their sight. And that's the way we felt in their sight. You see, the the purpose of Israel is to obey God, which means you're going to go in and conquer the land, I'm taking you to a land. They said, we can't do that. Now, how did they try to keep them from their purpose? Through pessimism. Let's go further. Same book now. Let's go to the 31st chapter. Starting in chapter 22, we're not going to turn there, but I'll remind you 22, 23, 24, 25 is the story of Balaam. Balak tried to secure, or Balak tried to secure Balaam to get him to curse the people of God. And he said, I can't do it. I've been told to prophesy the truth, and I'm going to prophesy the truth. I can't do it. I can't curse them. Remember that. When I come to chapter 31, if you will, and in verse 16, what had happened after that, they were cursed because they had committed harlotry. Where on earth did Balak get the idea of maybe bringing in some harlots and seducing the people so that he kept them from their purpose? Look at verse 16, 31, 16. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord. See, Balaam had given advice. You bring these women in and you entice and solicit them. They'll go after these women and God will bring the curse. I don't have to pronounce a curse. They'll do it for themselves. They were kept from their purpose by vice and by temptation. Here's another way. Let's go to Joshua 9. We We've just came through Joshua not long ago, so this ought to be familiar to us. Joshua 9. You remember God gave a... We're seeing this, by the way, in Judges as well. That God said, once you get into the land and you've conquered the land, there's still work to be done. And what I want you to do and what you need to do is drive out the pockets of the people. Make no covenants with the people. Drive them out. Joshua 9. Joshua 9. There were men from Gibeon, just 20 miles away. They put on disguises. Notice at verse 9, or rather verse 3 beginning, or verse 4, they worked craftily and they pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks and old wineskins that had been mended. They had sandals that had been uh, uh, patched that were on their feet, old garments. Their bread was dry and moldy. And they came and they said to Joshua, we've come from a far country. We want to make a covenant with you. And they did. What I want you to see is they were kept from their purpose by deception. Here's another way. Notice Nehemiah 6 and in verse 2 by compromise. There was a purpose that they had of obeying God in Nehemiah, and that is there to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. That was their purpose. But notice in Numbers in Nehemiah 4, there was Sinbalat to the north and Tobiah to the south, who were enemies who were trying to put the squeeze on them. Now chapter 6, verse 2, chapter 6 and verse 2, the enemies would like nothing more than for this work to cease, and consequently they're kept from their purpose, and what do they say? Sanballat sent someone to say, come, let us meet, and one of the villages in the plains of Ono, in other words, stop your work over there. Come down here on the plains of Orno and let's meet and have a discussion. That's an effort at compromise. You stop your work, I'll come and we'll talk and we'll begin to converse about this problem we have. They're trying to keep them from their purpose through compromise. Meet me halfway. That's compromise. But that wasn't the only way. Here's another way. Let's go to Amos. Amos chapter 7. Do you remember Amaziah in Amos chapter 7 had told Amos, we're going to come back to this later, so get this picture. Amos chapter seven beginning at verse twelve. Amaziah the priest said to Amos, Go you seer, flee from the land to the land of Judah, there eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy in Bethel. I don't want you preaching and prophesying in this city anymore. You go prophesy somewhere else, but not here. Remember how that Amos responded and said, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but God told me to go prophesy. So now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but here's what I'm learning from that. There was an effort to keep Amos from his purpose by prohibition. Don't do it. You're forbidden to preach anymore in the city. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is a New Testament passage I recognize, but it's referencing Old Testament people. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, they were, there was an attempt to keep them from their purpose by physical harm. Yeah, physical harm, literally. Let's notice this. Look at verse 36. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, even of chains and imprisonment. Hang on, it gets worse. Look at verse 37. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two. Probably a reference to Isaiah. Sawn in two with a wooden saw. They were physically harmed to try to keep them from fulfilling their purpose. I'm just looking at some historical records where the people of God had been trying to prevent, or there was an effort to prevent them from fulfilling their purpose. How? Well, by pessimism, advice and temptation, deception, by compromise, Prohibition, but physical harm. Let's come to the New Testament now. It didn't get any better. So let's go to the book of Acts chapter 4. And so let's quickly trace through some familiar ground to us because we are now in Romans in Bible class. We've just come through Acts. So this ought to be familiar ground to us. So we'll quickly notice. Acts chapter 4. When the apostles were preaching the resurrection, look at verse 17 of Acts chapter 4. But so that it spreads no further... Among the people, let us severely threaten them that they don't speak anymore in the the name of this man. And then verse 18, and they called them and told them uh, not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Well, how did they try to keep them from the purpose? Through threats. Threats could be a means of doing that. But we're not through. Next chapter, chapter 5, same verses though, but one chapter over, 17 and 18 by arrest. Yeah, here are the people of God preaching and teaching, but notice at verse 17 the high priest rose up and those who sat with him and they were filled with indignation. They didn't like what Paul and uh, or what the apost Peter and the other apostles were preaching. Now notice at verse 18, and they laid their hands on them and cast them in the common prison. why did they put them in prison? They're trying to keep them from their purpose. Same chapter, let's go to verse 28. Sometimes it's by law. Now remember, the Sanhedrin basically is the supreme court among the Jews. They weren't the Roman law. I recognize that. But it was law among the Jews. A heavy-handed law among the Jews. So notice in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. They tried to keep them from their purpose by law that would forbid that. Notice at verse 28. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? We've got a law that says you're not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. We told you that and you're doing that and now you're in trouble. they trying to stop them from their purpose. Let's go to chapter 6. That one, the only effort. There's, there's efforts from lying. There will be people who will lie about you and what you believe. The church of our Lord The Bible, they'll lie about everything to keep you from your purpose. Let me give you an example. Stephen was preaching the truth, you remember. Here's the charges that was made. He speaks blasphemous words against Moses and God. It was a lie. He had never done such. Look at verse 13. He's speaking blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. He'd never done that either. Oh, this was, this was in an effort to stir up the Jews. He's against the law. He's against Moses. He's against the temple. He's against God himself. This man's dangerous. I'm trying to stop him. Keep him from his purpose. Go to chapter 7. Here's how far some are willing to go, even to the point of bringing death. You remember when Stephen was preaching? And while he was crying out unto the Lord Jesus, they stoned him. Look at verse 59, he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not lay this into their charge. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Die. Chapter 15 now, verse 5. Sometimes it's by error being taught. Maybe somebody who's not trying to arrest you, they're not trying to pass a law, against what, but they just may teach error. And that's an effort from Satan's point of view to keep you from your purpose. Let's deter them from their purpose. There were some who rose up, chapter 15 in verse 5, teaching it was necessary to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. That was error. And it stirred the church. And some were led away by that, obviously. But we're not through with the list. Chapter 12. Let's go to Hebrews 12. This was a book written in the midst of discouragement and and, uh, and persecution. And chapter 12 is the... Probably the greatest picture of discouragement talks about lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You've read that many times. It's a description not of one who is courageous and said I'm ready to go forward but the hands are hanging down and the knees are getting feeble. They're discouraged. They, they, they don't know if they can go any further. You may be hindered from your purpose through discouragement. Your hands may be hanging down and your knees getting feeble. You don't know if you can take another spiritual step. Look at chapter 10, verse 24 of the book of Hebrews before we leave this point and go to our last. Look at chapter 10 and in verse 34. It could be by, and it was, by physical pressure. By physical pressure. How so? And you had compassion on me in my chains. That's physical pressure. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. What does that mean? It means their houses were ransacked and their goods stolen because of their dedication to the Lord. See, that could happen and did happen to Christians where because they are going to hold dear to the name of the Lord Jesus and they're going to worship their Lord God and they're going to remain faithful and not bow to the pressures of of society, that their houses are ransacked and their goods stolen. Not because a thief just wants them, because you stood for Christianity. That's how they did that in Acts. That's how they did that in Hebrews. That's how that was done. So how was it in the New Testament? No different than the Old Testament. There was historical efforts to keep Israel from their purpose. Now, here's our third and final point. I know what my purpose is, and purpose requires a goal, and purpose requires a a dedication of the mind, that is, devotion of the mind, singularity of mind, single-minded devotion. And I know that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, great efforts have been made, extreme efforts, to keep Israel from their purpose. Here's our question now. Are you being kept... From your purpose. Am I being kept. From my purpose. So let's raise another question. What could keep us from our purpose. Well we could stop at this juncture. And just say well. See all of the above. Anything that was used in the Old Testament. Could be used. Pessimism bad advice in the New Testament threats laws any of those could be used but let's start with temptation temptation itself is an effort to keep you from your purpose that's what Satan's wanting to do with that you may not be a temptation for this and I'm using mankind's words and man's view not God's but Some enormous, terrible sin like murder or stealing or homosexuality may not be some heinous crime. It might be a temptation to do something that we think of as a lesser sin. Let's go to Galatians 6 and in verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1 said, If one is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself." lest you also be tempted. What the text tells me is the one who was overtaken in a fault was tempted is why he went off into that fault, into that sin. Lest you also be tempted. See, he was tempted. did not mention it at the first part, but it implies it at the end of the verse. That's how he was overtaken in a fault. He was tempted and he was seduced by the temptation. So look at yourself and say, you know what, that could happen to me too. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. So it may be the temptation itself that's trying to prevent me from my purpose. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 5. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse 5. Paul was concerned about the church. at Thessalonica, he left them in a cloud of persecution, you remember. Got away hoping things would die down, the dust would settle. In verse five, and for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know of your faith. I couldn't wait; I was just anxious. I, was, I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't know how things went after I left. Did, did the dust settle down? What was your concern, Paul? Lest by any means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might have been in vain. You see, if you came became so tempted, you might yield to the temptation, and our labors in vain. Meaning what? You were kept. From your purpose, but let's go further. I want to suggest to you that it might be any hindrance that interferes. You say, "I don't know of anything that's keeping me from my purpose." It's kind of like the guard. You remember, he's over here having a conversation at the fence. I don't know of anything keeping me from my job. I'm supposed to be guarding that gate over there. Yeah, you're doing something that's distracting you, distracting your attention. You don't have single-minded devotion. So let's look at Luke chapter 8. It may be something good within itself. You see, I don't have to be involved in idolatry. I don't have to be involved in adultery. I don't have to be involved in lying. I don't have to be involved in stealing to be kept from my purpose. I may be doing something wholesome and good within itself. Look at Luke 8.14. In the parable of the sower, verse 14 describes... That those who are, are the thorns, that is the seed that fell among the thorns, are those who when they heard, they go out and they're choked. With what? The cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Anything wrong with that? No that crowds out and draws their attention. Remember our guard illustration? Anything wrong with this conversation with his friend over here across the fence? Not a thing wrong with that. That's great, that's good, that's awesome. But he didn't do his job. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 11. Watch this carefully. Watch this very carefully or we'll miss this point. It could even be something wherein I think I'm taking a strong stand and I'm doing the right thing. In fact, I'm doing something stronger and more right than others might be a hindrance. You say, how could that be? Where I, I think I'm taking a stronger stand here than anyone else on this question and this issue. I'm taking a stronger stand on that because I'm condemning everybody. May not be the thing to do. Let me give you an example. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Second Corinthians 2 and chapter 7 as well, those two chapters are describing the circumstance of that fornicator, 1 Corinthians 5, who repented and came back to the Lord. Chapter 7 says it's time to let up and forgive him. Let up and forgive him. Apparently from chapter 2, without reading the whole chapter, there were some who even after his repentance were condemning him for his sin. You were a fornicator. That was wrong and you shouldn't have done that. That's evil in the sight of God. But he's repentant of that. But they keep beating him and they keep beating him and they keep beating him rather than embrace him and forgive him. Now in their mind, apparently they think they're taking a strong stand against sin. Look at chapter 2. Are you with me in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11? 2 Corinthians 2. Verse 10, now you forgive whom whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. And if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one for your sake in the presence of Christ. In other words, Paul said, I've forgiven that brother, you should too. Why? Verse 11, here's our key verse. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. That's one of the devices of Satan see, someone sins against me, and I condemn them, and they repent, and I think, you know what, I'm I'm not going to be one of these softies on sin, I'm going to hit them again about that. And I'm going to hit them again, and I'm going to hit them again. And every time that I get a chance, I'm going to remind them, they sinned against me, and they sinned against me, but I'm not forgiving, but I'm taking a strong stand. In fact, I'm stronger than the rest of y'all that's kind of are soft, where you embraced him and just forgave him, but I'm still hammering on his sin. <clears throat> and that might be one of the tools that hinders me from my purpose. Let's go again. The fear of man, Matthew 10, 20. Fear not him that is able to destroy the body, and him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. By the way, that's in, in the threat of persecution. They're threatening to even kill you. He's not saying, oh, don't ever worry about somebody killing you. What he's saying is that should not be as important as losing your soul. That's what's more important. You see, the fear of man might prevent that. Where they may threaten me, don't you, don't you say anymore more about Jesus. Don't do that anymore. Don't, don't say any more about that. Now, well, I better back away. I'm not going to do that because I, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with the law. They might put me in jail. They might even kill me. Here's another way that might happen. Serving self rather than serving God. This ought to be familiar. We just studied this this morning in Romans 2. Those who would face condemnation are those who are self-serving. Look at verse 8. Those who are self-seeking. In other words, I do pretty much what I want. I serve myself rather than serving God. I do what's best for me. I want to do what pleases me. I'm I'm going to do what I think best rather than what God may say. And through neglect. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. When, When I know this is what I ought to be doing and then I'm not doing that, it may just be neglect that's kept me from my purpose now one more question in the lesson is yours let's raise this question how do I know when I'm keeping on my purpose how do I know you say I know I've got a purpose and and I think I'm on that but how do I know I'm that that I'm keeping my purpose and I'm not being distracted how did the pitcher know he was keeping purpose and not being distracted when he's got a single-minded devotion how did the garden know that when he's got a single-minded devotion Three things I want to say in answer to that. Here's number one. When God and His service is first, I know I have kept my purpose. When God and His service is first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I want you to notice what the text does not say. What the text does not say is make sure God is important in your life. I think we read the text that way, at least in our translation in our minds. That we read, okay, seeking first king. Oh, yeah, that says God's got to be important. Spiritual, oh yeah, spiritual life is very important to me. Oh, spiritual things are very important to me. In fact, it's more important than a lot of things. But is service to God first and foremost over anything and everything else? And by the way, by the way, look at the context of that. This was in the context of people worrying about their food. What, what What are we going to eat next meal? What about clothes? What are we going to wear? How am I going to to survive? And he said, you don't have enough faith in God. What you need to do is first put your faith and your trust in God. That should come first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Here's the second thing. Number two. When I'm more concerned about the spiritual than I am anything else. I don't know I'm keeping my purpose when I'm more concerned about the spiritual than I am anything else. And so, yeah, I've I've, I've considered that, you know what, maybe there's going to be a shortage of food and I may not have enough to eat and I'm concerned about my physical. But when I'm more concerned about the spiritual than I am anything else, Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 1, seek those things which are above. Drop down to verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above and not on the things of the earth. I don't know what's happening this week, because you listen to one news source, and we're going to have turmoil all across the nation, and another source says, no, I don't know what and you don't know, nor do they know. But let's just play that out for a moment. Let's suppose there's not a peaceful transfer of power, and we have utter chaos in our society for weeks and weeks, basically like a civil war, whatever, it just, just chaos and turmoil goes on. Is it going to be in your mind that the most important thing is your physical safety during that time? Or is it going to be, I want to make sure I'm right with the Lord no matter what. If they kill me, that's fine. If I get killed in turmoil, that's fine. If if things are peaceful, that's fine. But I want to make sure that I'm right with the Lord and that's all that really matters. That's where push comes to shove with our faith. Which brings us to our third and final answer to that question. When we're determined that nothing will stop me. You say, how, how, how do I know I'm keeping my purpose? I don't know that. When I'm determined nothing's going to stop me. Nothing. There's no man. There's no law. There's no circumstance. There's nothing going to stop me. Let me give you two illustrations. We've already looked at both of these. I just want to remind you make an application of these. Do you remember Amos? Go back to Amos 7. Amos was a man who was determined, nothing's going to stop me. Remember the high priest said? Amaziah the priest came and he said to him, do not preach anymore in Bethel. I don't want to see you around here anymore. And Amos said, I'm not a prophet nor the son of prophet. He's not saying I'm not a prophet. He's saying I'm not formally trained as a prophet. Chosen of God is what he's saying. God chose me to be a prophet. And you tell me not to go prophesy, but God said, go prophesy. Now, verse 16 is one of the more powerful phrases in all the book of Amos. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You're going to stop me. You're not going to stop me, he said. You can threaten me, you can say whatever, but you're not going to stop me. God said, go prophesy. You said, don't prophesy. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. That'll put some starch in you. And it did in Amos. Here's one more we're going to mention. Peter. Peter was told, don't you preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Mm, don't do that. You can preach. It wasn't the preaching that was bad. It was preaching in the name of Jesus. It wasn't even stirring the crowds in Jerusalem, as long as they are stirring them against Christianity. It's just preaching in the name of Jesus. Remember what Peter said? Verse 20 of Acts 4, We cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. You ain't going to stop us. You ain't going to stop us. Look at chapter 5 and verse 29. We strictly commanded you not to teach anymore in the name of Jesus, and you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. You ain't going to stop. So how can I know I'm not being kept from my purpose, and I am still following my purpose? How do I know? How do I know? When? When? God and His service is first when I'm more concerned about the spiritual and when I'm determined that nothing is going to stop me. Julius kept them from their purpose. What is your purpose? Historically, there have been every kind of effort made to stop Israel from their purpose. Could you be kept from your purpose? Is there something now keeping you from your purpose? Maybe that there's one present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?